The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Full Court Press has the latest news and opinions from men's and women's college basketball. Our hosts are John Fanta, who calls games all around the country for Fox Sports and others, and Kim Adams, an analyst for Fox and ESPN, and a former D1 baller who never saw a three-point opportunity she didn't like. If you don't believe me, check her Twitter page. Take it away, guys. Welcome to Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams, everybody, on this Monday, April the 20th. John Fanta here with you in Cleveland, Kim Adams in Philadelphia. The first dance of the last dance is complete. What a Sunday night premiere it was. It's what everybody is talking about on this Monday morning, Miss Adams. What's your reaction to MJ and the Bulls kicking things off? John, I'm I'm feeling like a new sense of energy this morning. It was I just thought it was amazing. Kudos to ESPN, kudos to Netflix. I actually I guess I ended up spending about five hours on it last night because I watched the two episodes. Then I took the next hour to kind of catch up on all the tweets that were going on about it. And then it came on again. So I'm a night owl and, you know, I wanted to make sure I <laughs> I hadn't missed anything. So I actually rewatched episodes one and two. Um, but I just, it was, it was great. I mean, on in, for so many different reasons. One, just to finally have some sports appointment viewing and just to see everyone talking about it on Twitter and in family group chats. Um, and then, you know, I was I was born in 89, so I didn't see Jordan playing at UNC. Uh, I didn't see him playing in the late 80s for the Bulls. So just to see some of that background stuff and see the highlight, like the basketball highlights I thought were awesome too. I was fixated on that type of stuff. Um, so much great stuff to unpack from those first two episodes, John. Well, we're a college basketball podcast, so looking at the, the college hoops angle of this, it is amazing to hear from Roy Williams and this and Dean Smith, uh, Dean Smith, old videos of him talking about Jordan. I was amazed by some of Roy's quotes. The one that stood out is one of the best quotes of the two hours. Michael Jordan's the only player I knew who had not an off switch, and he never frickin' turned it off. In classic Roy Dagum fashion, he says that. But if that weren't enough from the college basketball angle, I, I was impressed by North Carolina and how they came off and the fact that MJ was so comfortable in North Carolina. And you, and you hear him talk about how he's in North Carolina and he didn't want to stay there because of the race, racial disparity and because of, of that ongoing war down there. He wanted to get out of North Carolina, yet how comfortable he ended up being in Chapel Hill. And that's a credit, I think, to Dean Smith and the kind of program and the culture run there. Having said this, Kim, I thought I was impressed with that, but then Scotty Pippen's college journey oh one-upped it at Central Arkansas. Are you kidding me that he started as a manager and then the road he ended up taking? It was I I didn't know any of that, and I've never even heard of 
University of Central Arkansas, which is an NAI, NAIA school. And apparently I, someone said it's not even a Division One NAIA. It was Division Two. Um, that blew me away. I mean, f- whoever said this, this man should be an equipment manager, I, I hope they, they don't have a job in scouting or recruiting anymore because they, they did say he grew a fair amount. But you had to have seen a little bit of talent there. But even watching his highlights that they came out and put on, like obviously it was super blurry, could hardly make it out. But when you, you saw like how he took over those games, his thunderous dunks, but yeah, that was – an amazing story and when you think Michael you know was they said he was cut from his high school varsity team as a sophomore Mm. and that's all that's another thing Roy Williams came in and you know so they hadn't seen this kid until he was a junior first year on the varsity team and they didn't you know know much about him and Roy Williams said by the end of that camp we thought he was the best player in America so just so many cool stories college pros Scotty Michael we have a lot more to go too. A lot more to go. It was, it was just thrilling. Uh, you talk about the college journeys. I love Dolores Jordan Ugh. talking about. For, first off, just how good she looks for, oh my for God. being in her late seventies. Yeah, I was gonna say that too. <laughs> Seventy-eight. She was like the talk of the documentary. People were asking for skincare <laughs> regimens. She looked phenomenal. It was. It was just, you know. In a world where hype gets amplified by social media, digital media, you name it, this was so anticipated in a time that is so difficult right now for everybody. Everybody's getting impacted by COVID-19. Everybody asked for this documentary to get moved up. Kim, it got moved up, and two episodes in, it has delivered, and then some. Credit to ESPN Netflix, the production group that put this all together because they deserve a standing O for the job that they've done thus far. Absolutely. Some people were saying, oh, I wish they had just released all 10 episodes at once. But I was kind of thinking, I think this is kind of the beauty in doing the two at a time every Sunday because we've gotten so into the binge culture watching that you don't watch shows as a community anymore. And last night, it was almost like we were tuned into a game or we were tuned into a championship, and everybody was watching it unfold at the same time, and everyone could tweet about it and talk about it. Um, so I actually, as much as I would have loved to see all of them last night, I'm, I'm actually happy that they're releasing it like this because, A, we need things to look forward to in this time, and B, it, it really is like tuning into a game because really live sports are almost the only thing left where you have to watch it at that time. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool as well. Kim, you've known it long enough working with me. Sometimes I'll tie some phrases together or give that cute saying on the air, right? Oh, yeah. Don't Make sure you don't get too cute. <laughs> no, right, exactly. That's, that's Just an kidding. Joke. I, lo- I uh, love it. For another day. Having said this, we're going to tie a bow on this podcast after our interview with a quote that I think stood out from the two hours, and it was from James Worthy at North Carolina. He said, quote, I was better than him for about two weeks. Yeah, that was awesome. I think, and I don't think this, this Michael Jordan's incomparable, but we are going to talk a little bit about some players bypassing college for the G League and what the NBA is doing in that regard. It's a temporary fix, if you will. We're going to get into that in a little bit. But first, let's kick it to our conversation this week. 
And I'll tell you what, I was talking about how it was snowing, and, and he rubbed that in my face. Uh, snowing in Ohio, it was actually cold over the weekend in the Northeast. So we're going to warm you up, everybody. We're heading out to the sunny beaches in Los Angeles this week. What a first season it was for Mick Cronin at UCLA. The Bruins started 8-9, and nine, then won 11 of their final 14 games. One of the best runs of the year by a program in all of college basketball. And we're joined by Coach Cronin now. Mick, some big news this week for your program with a couple of additions. Uh, you add transfer Johnny Juzang from Kentucky, and we understand he lives just three miles from you in Los Angeles. Did you give any thought to driving over and honking the horn to celebrate? Heck, I've been taking uh, two-hour walks every day. I thought about walking right by his house wearing and wearing all UCLA stuff and, and waving at him, but I didn't think that would uh, fit within the rules. So uh, I, I headed the other direction in my, in, in my walks, but it was pretty unusual uh, to be have a guy three miles away and you're, you're on FaceTime or you're calling or texting each other every day. <laughs> well, you can't, you know, you can't just go meet at, meet at Starbucks and, and talk about things, but uh, you're not allowed in Starbucks right now. So it's just a, it's a wild time. Obviously, it's a very tough time for a lot of people, especially uh, on the East Coast. So uh, you just got to be thankful if, if you and your family are safe and, and try to deal with it. But, uh, yeah, just, we had a really good day on Wednesday with signing day. Bringing in Jalen Clark as well, and you already had had the five-star commitment of Dacia Nix, and I know you talked about the depth that they can add to your program. Just looking at this past season, Coach, you come in, and anytime there's a first-year head coach taking over a program, it's going to result in a period of, of learning and, and sometimes some growing pains. You're 8 and 9 in mid-January before that big-time run. What changed, and what moment in the season do you identify as the turning point? Um, well, I think it was gradual. You know, what people don't see, when it, buildings get built, and sometimes you think, well, they're not making any progress, but you don't see what they're doing on the inside. Um, so what we did in practice every day, and all the work we put in in the summer and the fall, it wasn't manifesting itself in victory early in the season. Uh, but that's because we were extremely inexperienced, guys, extremely inexperienced. Uh, you know, the players that were on the roster and I got there and some of the recruits that have been signed, they're just really young. And, and they had played on a team where the three guys the previous year took all the shots were gone. So we had never had anybody in a lead role. We we had guys playing major minutes that played mop-up minutes. And we just had a group of guys that needed experience. And as they got – as they gained that experience, and they became uh, a team and guys that played for each other, got to know each other better. Um, we were able to turn the corner. So it wasn't uh, I th it wasn't one one thing that happened. It was far from that. I think if I was to give anybody advice, it's, it's, it's the work you put in every day. And you got to just stay true to your convictions and uh, realize that the work will eventually pay off. And that's just that's just what happened for us. And coach, just to kind of go off that a little bit, I was listening to an interview you did following what would end up being your last game of the season, uh, a buzzer beating loss to USC. And you said when you were in the locker room following that one, it felt like 
one of your locker rooms at Cincinnati where losing wasn't acceptable just in terms of how heartbroken and distraught the players were. What goes into building a culture like that and, and something that you're hoping to bring to UCLA? Well, I'll tell you, you know, you take me back to when I was 24. Bob Huggins gave me a chance, uh, put me on a staff at Cincinnati. And I, I and, and people would ask me, they used to ask me questions about Coach Huggins all the time. And, and one thing he probably was the best at is he, he just instilled a culture in his programs where, you know, losing is just unacceptable. It's just never okay to lose. Uh, as a coach, what you could have done as players, what you could have done, you can just, you got to find a way. Uh, well, I remember back then, we, we actually made a plaque and hung it above the locker room. A year we had a bunch of injuries and issues, and like in 97, and we did, we hung find a way. We just, you just got to find a way to win. And it, it's just got to be part of your culture. It's, uh, it's not Little League, you know, the, uh, Giving the old college try isn't good enough. You got to find a way to win. There's always a way to win the game. It may be defense, maybe offense, could be rebounding, strategy, um, and you just got to build that that faith in your guys that uh, hey, we're going to win. And it, that's what happened for us. Once we went on that winning streak, uh, I just surely didn't want to lose the last game of the year. Uh, we'd have loved to have shared the Pac-12 title with Oregon, but. When I went in that locker room, it it, it felt it, it was it was the best I had felt all year after a loss. That you know, not not that I was happy about it by any stretch, but I my team gave everything they had. Um, I wish I'd have made a few different moves. I'm sure the guys did, but when I went to take my my suit coat off, and I heard guys banging their heads on the locker and punching chairs. Uh, I actually thought to myself, you know, if we build our culture, even though we lost, sometimes you find out the most about your team when, you know, in, in a loss. So uh, the hard part, though, is we didn't get to take it out on anybody. We never got to, <laughs> never got to get back on the court. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that, that's what happened. You know, this, the end of the season was just so, so surreal for all of us that, uh, you know, and now you sit here right now, and I'm so excited about our team next year. You know, I'm so we hey, we got a chance to have a really good team at UCLA, but then I stopped and I said, boy, what, you know, well, I wonder when we're going to get to work out this summer. So you, there's just so many unknowns. Yeah, absolutely. And I was actually just going to ask you about that because this is typically a time that, that's important in terms of individual skill workouts and conditioning. Um, so what have you guys been doing to kind of monitor what your players are doing or just kind of the tools that what, what can they do to stay in shape and, and to continue to stay skilled basketball wise right now? So I think, the, you know, the, the big thing about basketball versus football Guys putting weight on um, is is a big part of football. Their season is closer. Uh, you know, we we have most of our guys have size and athleticism, or and are are, are naturally in shape guys. Uh, I'm you know I'm hoping that we'll have plenty of time to get get in shape. And I'm going to give you one. You know I, I'm 48 now and. 
you know, I grew up in the three-sport era. I don't think it's all that bad for these guys not to be making, be on the floor, m making the same hard cuts for 12 months a year. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't think it's the right thing. You know, I would tell, you know, I don't, uh, my daughter, she likes to swim and we live in LA now. She's, 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 uh, doing the acting stuff and volleyball, but you know, I, I don't think 12 months a year of making the same cuts, running the same way uh, on the hardwood. There's a reason there's so many knee injuries now. I, I don't think it's great for you. So I think the hidden gem in all this is guys saving their legs. Uh, you could cut down on knee injuries. Um, I'm a big believer in shooting the ball. You know, I think the NBA guys are so far advanced, the veterans, you know, they, they – there was a time they, they played in the summer. Now they, they just shoot the ball and stay in shape. You got to save. You got you, you only got so many miles on your wheels. And I think specialization starts at such a young age. It's a it's a secret uh, hidden break right now that was forced upon. I think a, a lot of basketball players. So I don't think it's bad. My focus with the guys is academics, which is hard because I can't get to them. I can't uh, tell anybody they got to run at six in the morning if they don't turn their homework in. <laughs> Fascinating times, coach. I, I was going to say my wheels have stopped. Uh, they stopped long ago. Yours keep rolling. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, I'm going to tell you something, man. You know, every now and then you want to demonstrate something in practice and you realize your mind's your mind says this, but your legs say, get the hell off the court. <laughs> <laughs> Now at UCLA, what's something that you've learned or heard about the legend, John Wooden, since you've taken the job? Oh, wow. I would say um, competitive nature. You know, I think um, because of my age, you know, I, I, my, uh, my thought about Coach Wooden was the retired Coach Wooden, who was like, uh, you know, almost the Dalai Lama of wisdom of coaching, right? Uh, so I didn't know Coach Wooden as a coach. So what I would say to you is I've become friends with a lot of guys that played for him, uh, probably some of our biggest, most loyal supporters, not probably they are, are, are the guys, the group of guys that played for Coach Wooden. And they're in L.A., they're at practice, they're at games, they got season tickets, they live and die with the Bruins. They got grandkids that they're bringing to games in our camps. Uh, so I've been around them. So I know this. Now I know the truth, the, the side of Coach Wooden as a, as a basketball coach. So I've sat with Michael Warren, who's become a good friend of mine. Uh, and, you know, it, it's funny to say that because he was my mom's favorite actor when, she, when I was growing up on Hill Street Blues. But Mike's a great guy. He lives near me. Um, he, you know, tell stories about how tough of a coach John Wooden was and how precise he was, how demanding he was. But he was fair and he treated everybody the same. So, uh, you know, he did, definitely different than the persona of, you know, the, the wise, very kind, old, you know, older gentleman uh, that puts his arm around everybody with, with the wisdom. Uh, they knew Coach Wooden. Uh, as a guy they feared. I mean, they, they feared Coach Wooden. 
they dreaded practice <laughs> and uh that you know but so it which it didn't shock me though i mean you, you know that they, they, you don't win the way they won if uh if you're not playing hard and you're you're, you're not getting after it the way his teams did awesome stuff coach and prior to this last year you had spent the majority of your life in Cincinnati, a Cincinnati native and alumni, and then coaching there, of course. Uh, I have to imagine L.A. might have some perks when it comes to quarantining there as opposed to Cincinnati. Uh, what are what are your top three things you've done in L.A., top three favorite things, whether an activity or places you've eaten? Um, what what do you like about L.A.? Uh, well, part of my move, I had always – I had – been coming to LA since I got into coaching with Sonny Vaccaro and uh, other guys in basketball that I spent time with in the summer. So uh, my affinity for Southern California started when I was 21 and had spent spent a lot of time in LA throughout my career uh, and my vacations. But so number one is the weather. Let's just get that on you know on the table. It's, you know. It's, 72 right now and my quarantine is in my in my backyard by my pool oh <laughs> so, man uh yeah and watching it you know watching an outdoor tv so um sounds pretty you know, good that, that yeah <laughs> the, you know that the wet the, the weather is unbelievable um and that's far and away the, the best part of of, the, of it all but uh <laughs> you know it, it was it, it's it's uh opportunity i think for my daughter would be for me you know that's a big part of who i am she goes to the, uh, a school called campbell hall in studio city uh it's a tremendous private school and the, the opportunities and that it's going to afford her being in the in los angeles and, and the education she's getting um is obviously high on my list of, of priorities but yeah i mean it's getting normal the last bite for you guys, you know, for if you meet somebody and, you know, somebody you meet for dinner in Malibu or, you know, Beverly Hills, I'm in all the time. It's just right, you know, it's basically Westwood. So, you know, you, I leave practice and meet a guy for dinner in Beverly Hills. Like, you know, when you grow up in Cincinnati, you know, but you know the Beverly Hills is on television. It's a TV show, not, you know, 90210 or the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> you know, it's not a, you, you know. But now for me, it, you know, it's it, it's kind of unusual. But it, you know, somebody tells you, "Hey, let's you know, let's go to dinner." My buddy Chad Brownstein says, "Hey, you want to meet me for dinner?" <laughs> and it, he works there, so you know, I come out of, I get take a ride on Sunset Boulevard, and I, you know, and I'm there in two minutes. So uh, a lot of perks to the job for somebody that likes to eat eat, eat good food. So no, no doubt about that. Coach, I'm sitting here in Cleveland. It's snowing right now. No joke. Yeah, I, I, I got to say, I really, <laughs> it's making me smile. I don't, I, I, you know, I would say I feel bad for you, but I'm, I, I'm Ouch. honest by, you know, by habit, <laughs> I, I, you know, um, I, it just, it makes me smile. I'm actually trying not to laugh. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Way to rub it great. in. Way to rub it in. We'll, so. we'll, we'll wrap with this here. UCLA has been at the top of the mountain in this sport many times. What makes you believe that you can get this program back to that level that Duke, Kansas, and Kentucky are seemingly on every year? Well, I think, you know, you just said it. Uh, it's hard because Duke, Kansas, and Kentucky, 
weren't in the Final Four the last three years, and maybe maybe more than that. So uh, that's how hard it is because it, it, we're, we play in a, a 60-18 one-and-done tournament where anything can happen. So uh, I think the key the key is like what we talked about earlier. Uh, you can you can get quality players at, that that uh, academically fit UCLA, character-wise fit UCLA, and you just get to work every day, like we said, and, and then things can happen for you. But uh, it's a tremendous opportunity. It's one one obviously I I decided I you know it wasn't going to pass up. I you know I love Cincinnati and I always will. I thought. I think sometimes you can stay at a place too long. Um, so I, I think maybe it, was, it, it could have been good for them. It could have been good for me. Uh, sometimes you got to leave on a high note. And uh, it, it, sometimes you can wait until they ask you to leave. You never want to do that if I give you some career <laughs> advice. <laughs> but, uh, you know, UCLA, you got a chance to recruit the elite student athletes in the country. I mean, it's really, you know, our sport comes down to, to players. And, and that's, you know, that's at the end of the day, uh, coaching is important. But we talked about Coach Wooden earlier. One of his great quotes is, hey, the guy with the best players usually wins. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, I think you got a chance to get those guys at UCLA. Coach, we are ending each interview we do with the coach during these times with this. You get to pick any three other college basketball coaches to quarantine with in a house. Obviously, there's entertainment involved. There's food involved. You you got three college coaches anywhere. Who are you picking to live with? Well, Rick Pitino's one. Uh, <laughs> we're good, and, I, and I'm going to tell you why. He, he can. People won't know this. He can cook. Wow. And I love Italian. Yeah, yeah. People wouldn't know that one. Rick Pitino can cook, uh, and I love Italian food. And number two, he would force me to work out every day. He just shame <laughs> me. You know, on the days that I haven't worked out, he would not have allowed it. He would have just completely shamed me uh, <laughs> into my into my workout. Um, I would think uh, number two would probably be Kevin Willard at Seton Hall, um, just because I would not feel as follically challenged and bald. <laughs> <laughs> younger than me and he went balder faster than me uh and then we probably we got to get a young guy that we're going to make clean up i guess i, I you know we probably no need to get a young guy out there you know but i might take mike bray because mike's so optimistic and he's always in a great mood you know <laughs> and now that we're thinking quarantine you know i was going to say richard patino but i can only take one of them right <laughs> That's a good I, list. You know, now I know why. Now I know why Willard is always running through South Orange. Oh yeah, well he's got a couple reasons. All right, he want, he he makes his assistants do all the recruiting, so he just takes off running. Then <laughs> uh, he's trying to find a hair shop for men. <laughs> Graham Fillmire's got all that work on his plate, Coach Cronin. But could you guys make sure Kevin gets a clip of what I just said? Oh, he's going to get it Absolutely. for sure. No question about it. And he'll be texting you. He's a good texter. He'll be texting away. 
I think we also oh, need yeah. a, a cooking segment with Rick would be great. <laughs> we need some samples here. We need to see if it's true. I, I promise you, I, it, I, it shocked me, but he can do it. He can do it. We were stuck alone in it years ago after 9-11, and he whipped up dinner at, at his old house in Armand. I couldn't believe it. He started He started getting stuff on. He started getting stuff. Hey, give me that pot. Give me this. I said, what, what for? <laughs> <laughs> You'd never seen those pots. That's right. Uh, That's right. Do you remember what no, he I, made? I, I don't. Yeah, made it. We made made a great pasta dinner. I can't remember what exactly. It was I, I was in shock. I know. Look, you're talking to a guy that back then I could only make ramen noodles. I, I mean, <laughs> I couldn't have done it. Oh man, so I, I, I'm with you. I'm a single. I've improved. You, you know, YouTube is really good to help guys like you know a guy like me. You know how to make scrambled eggs. You know how to make pasta. You know, my daughter thinks I know how to do it. She's, you know, she, <laughs> she starts, you know, she doesn't know. I got, you know, I'm in there watching some nice lady step me through it on a YouTube video. I'm with you, coach. I, I forgot to put the cheese mix in my mac and cheese out of the box the other day. So that's where I'm at. Oh, boy. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, well, Coach Cronin, congratulations on a successful first year at UCLA, and thanks so much for joining us. To you and your family, stay safe, be well. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Take care. Great to have Coach Cronin on the show. That makes it two straight weeks where we've had coaches on, Brad Underwood of Illinois. Last week, if you've got a guest submission, a coach or a player that you're interested in hearing from, you can tweet at Kim Adams underscore one or at John underscore Fanta. If you'd like, am I right, Kim and Kim Adams underscore one? Uh, I think that's right. I or is it Kim? Uh, yep. No, I'm looking at. You don't yeah, know your yeah, own Twitter yeah, handle? It's be, my name is so common, like Kim and then Adams, two such common names. I always have to get creative no. on these handles. I know Instagram's different, but Twitter, <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Kim underscore Adams underscore. one. <laughs> You can tweet at Kim. You can tweet at me if you've got a submission. So let's jump in. WNBA draft was Friday. It, this was the first remotely covered draft with everybody in their homes. I thought the WNBA did an amazing job paying tribute to Gigi Bryant um, and her teammates off the top. Takeaways from the WNBA draft. We talked about it last week. I can't say it enough. This could be a night we look back on in WNBA history in women's sports history, because Sabrina Ionescu in New York feels to me like LeBron James in Cleveland. And I know that Sabrina's not from New York, but I think there are moves, there are tectonic shifts in the history of a league. If there were to be a shift, this could be it with the Liberty who have struggled recently. They've gone through an identity crisis a little bit because they've moved from Madison Square Garden to the Barclays Center, and people are trying to adjust to that. But Sabrina Ionescu's brand, her talent, everything that she brings to the table is perfect for New York City and can be great for women's sports and beyond. I agree, John. And Just first to go off of some of the stuff you said off the top, I, I did think the WNBA and ESPN – did a great job of 
executing this, there was a lot of pressure on it. You know, this is the first time anything like this has ever been done. There were a couple small mishaps. I mean, they couldn't get Ruthie Hebert. She was all the way out in Fairbanks, Alaska. They couldn't get her <laughs> post-game interview or post-interview uh, right away. But, I mean, how far can technology go, right? Um, and then, yeah, the, the Kobe and Gigi stuff, uh, they had to start off with that. It was It was sombering, but also beautiful at the same time uh, honorary picks Gigi Bryant her teammates Alyssa Altabelli and Peyton Chester and then they also announced a new award the Kobe and Gigi Bryant WNBA Advocacy Award which they'll give to somebody who really is is promoting the women's game like Kobe did so well um, so just to piggyback on that a little bit um, but yeah absolutely Sabrina mania uh, I'm from the New York City area I don't live there right now but it was it was exciting for me just as somebody who grew up there, grew up a Liberty fan, um, and and you know seeing how the team has been off the radar a little bit the last few years. We mentioned last week they've been playing in my hometown, which I love, White Plains, New York, but it's not a big time city. Um, so now the Liberty will be back in the Barclays Center. They have new ownership now, same owners as the Brooklyn Nets, and right away you could kind of see a shift in how they are treating and marketing this team and rightfully so it's all pumping up Sabrina Ionescu right now um they've got new jerseys that are looking good just everything looks good right now graphically um for the Liberty but but John let's also talk not just Sabrina but she had two teammates as well that went in the top eight of this draft mm. so the Oregon Ducks and, and their coach Kelly Graves it was a great night for them you had Sabrina at one to New York her teammate Satu Sabali, who forgoed her senior season, left after junior year. She went second to the Dallas Wings. And then another forward, Ruthie Hebert, who we mentioned from Alaska, she went eighth to the Chicago Sky, where I just learned she's she actually was born in Chicago. So she was born in Chicago, raised in Alaska, and now going back to Chicago, which is pretty cool. So it was a, a winning night for the Oregon Ducks. It was, and it was a reflection of where the sport went this year. Out West, we were poised for a potential Pac-12 champion, a national champion from that conference, if not two Final Four teams from the Pac-12. And it shows you where the game has gone and the fact that talent is getting spread across the country. UConn did not have a player selected, and I say until, but the ninth pick, it was Megan Walker. Um, who will be heading to the Liberty. The Liberty had six of the first 15 picks. So they, they just loaded up Crystal Dangerfield going 16th to the Minnesota Lynx. Kim, who are some sleepers or some players that maybe not everybody's talking about that you're really intrigued by? Well, you just teed me up perfectly because I have two in mind. My first is Crystal Dangerfield. And it's crazy to think, you know, a UConn starting point guard is a sleeper pick. But she did go in the second round, 16th overall. Um, as you know, I was covering the WNBA this season. I spent a fair amount of time around the Minnesota Lynx, Coach Cheryl Reeve. I just think they have such a great organization. So Crystal Dangerfield, I think, is going to fit in so well there. She'll be reuniting with her UConn teammate, Nafisa Collier, who was just this year's WNBA Rookie of the Year. Uh, but I think that's a great system for her. Cheryl Reeve has spent a lot of time with Gino coaching the national team and just loves UConn players. Um, so I think Dangerfield is going to be great there. And then one other sleeper I have, uh, Kaya Gillespie. She went in the third round, 32nd pick 
overall out of Florida State. Some people were thinking she would be a first-rounder. She's a first-team All-CC selection. I was pretty shocked at how far she fell. She's a, a 6'2 forward but can step out on the three-point line, average 16-9 and nine this year in her senior year. So Kaya Gillespie, another sleeper I'm looking at. Um, and then just one more thing, John, I think a, a team who really won this draft was the Dallas Wings. Um, we mentioned Sabali went number two. Bella Allery out of the Ivy League, out of Princeton, who we mentioned to look out for. She went fifth overall. And then Tayasha Harris, number seven, yeah. South Carolina. Um, so they really loaded up, and they had to, rightfully so. They didn't have a good season. Um, they traded away Skylar Diggins, who, who didn't play last season as she's getting back from, from pregnancy. Uh, but they really needed to have a big-time draft, and I think they nailed it. Um, they have Arike Agumba-Wale, who was runner-up for Rookie of the Year. So now you have a lot of young pieces in that organization. I think they're a, a team that's going to make a resurgence in the next few seasons. I'll tell you mine. Seattle Storm 11th pick, Katija Laksa from South Florida. Program 6 all-time leading scorer. She can score at will and was really strong for the Bulls, I felt, in watching her throughout the season. I thought she had a pro game, and that translated, and great for South Florida to have a first-round pick. Let's transition now to the other storyline that is making some, some major uh, hedgeway across all sports news, and this is with the NBA and their G League developing a pathway for players to forego college and go straight to them. Now, not only is this foregoing college, this is also an opportunity to keep a player from going international, like we talked about with Hampton as well as Ball, uh, that you could end up going straight to the G League with an up to $500,000 contract. We've seen two players make the headlines. Jalen Green, who was the top prospect for 2020, Kim, and he's making the leap to that reshaped professional pathway program. This G League initiative provides a one-year development program outside the minor leagues' traditional team structure. So Green was a potential number one pick in next year's 2021 draft. And instead of going to college, he's heading straight to the G League. He's joined by Isaiah Todd, who actually was going to head to Michigan. He's decommitting. Now he is heading straight to the G League. The thought in mind is that Look, in 2022, the one-and-done rule is going away. Players can head straight to the NBA. So this is really a temporary hold by the NBA to try to get some control of those players in the here and now. What's your take on all of this? Yeah, I mean, with you know, it's only going to be around for a couple years, as you just said. So I don't think it's going to have a huge impact for any party, for the players, for the NCAA, for the NBA, just because of how temporary it is going to be. However, I I do think this was a great move by the NBA. I think the NBA definitely won with this move. Um, you had R.J. Hampton and LaMelo Ball playing in Australia last year, and, and they wanted to keep the players here to develop their top players here. And the biggest issue was money because players – could play in the NBL and make half a million dollars, a million dollars maybe. And with the current G League program, they were only allowing up to $125,000. So now you've almost times that by five, 
you know, a contract could be up to $500,000. And then you have the opportunity to sign shoe deals, uh, jersey sales. So you're talking, you know, maybe a kid can come in and make a million dollars in this developmental year. Uh, how does it impact the NCAA? I don't think it impacts them very much because I know in my mind, not at not one point during this college basketball season did I say, man, I wish I could see LaMelo Ball suiting up for Duke right now. I really miss LaMelo Ball. So are we, is, are we really missing, you know, the top two or three prospects? Absolutely not. College basketball is still going to be great. Um, maybe, you know, right now there's two kids doing this program, maybe, maybe four or five do it this year, maybe eight do it next year. Um, so I think, you know, the NCAA just needs to decide how important are these kids to us. But at, at the end of the day, you know, they're not going to change their structure right now. They're not going to allow these kids to get paid for their likeness. So I don't think there's anything that the NCAA is going to do. Um, I don't think it impacts the NCAA very much you know freshmen aren't aren't winning NCAA championships um people are still going to tune into March Madness people are still going to love college basketball um so I think it's it's a great move for the NBA it's a great move for the top prospects because if I were in Jalen's Jalen Green's position I would do the same exact thing make 500k be training not have to go to class like kudos to him great move way to to push the needle a little bit. Um, and so yeah, great, great move for him. Great move for the, for the NBA. Don't think it impacts the NCAA much. I don't think it does either. I think what this does just bring up is that the NCAA has waited on name, image, and likeness for as long as it has, and has a subcommittee right now that's talking about this issue. This is a working group that is still meeting They've determined that they're going to allow name, image, and likeness. They just haven't given official word on when, official word on what that's going to entail, if it's going to entail restrictions or whatnot. Look, we all know it's been far too long that student-athletes have not had the opportunity to benefit from their name, image, and likeness. Um, But by the same token, in terms of whether or not college basketball is going to continue to thrive, the fan of college basketball, one, is rooting for a program that generates three- and four-year talents, the traditional program, what a Villanova has become in the sport, what Jay Wright's been able to master. Or two... Uh, you're rooting for a blue blood that you know is churning out great talent, and that's not going to stop. Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, if they're not getting a Jalen Green, are still going to get the next best talent because that's the system that that those programs have developed in, um, have developed to become. So I I think that what this is more about is there's got to be a structure to name, image, and likeness. The transfer rule is another fluid situation right now that – we're waiting for word on whether this is going to be allowed, the one-time transfer waiver. It looks like it's going to be allowed, but will be allowed for next year. You're already at close to 700 transfers. Kim, what this continually bellows out is that student-athletes need to have more power. In 2020, it's taken us a while to get to this point, but here's the thing. Whether or not they were going to get power, and I don't think this can be argued with, 
you are still going to root for Duke if you're a Duke fan, UNC if you're a North Carolina fan, Kansas, Kentucky, and so on. The star talents enhance the sport. They do not make the sport what it is because that is college sports. It is a pageantry level. It is a level of a fan showing up to a game knowing they've always rooted for Duke and maybe not knowing who the sixth best player is on the team. That's just how I think it is. If you're a if you're an absolute passionate homer, that's that's who you are, then yeah, you do know. But you're showing up to the Big East tournament because that's what you've always done and you've always rooted for that school name or because you actually went there. Your allegiance doesn't lie with one star player. You might build an allegiance for a certain player, a Jimmer Fredette, an Adam Morrison, but you're not going to associate your fandom with that one player. College basketball gets enhanced by stars. It is going to live on with J- without Jalen Green, just like it lived on without LeBron James, without Kobe Bryant. It's not the death of the sport. It's not the sport suffering. The sport has to make change. We've known that for a while. It is long overdue. Let's see what that change entails. It's going to allow student-athletes some opportunities they have not had in the past. But college sports, with the greatest tournament in all of sports in March Madness, in my humble opinion, isn't suddenly going to get torn down because players are trying to make that fix of making some money and now going to the NBA to get developed. as opposed to going to college. College is going to live on because the name across that jersey, it may sound corny, but that's what fans associate with college basketball. And more so, they associate Cinderella. Cinderella with a Steph Curry and Davidson, or a Loyola Chicago and Sister Jean. And in those situations, you're not getting a player decommitting from those schools to head straight to the NBA G League. College basketball needs change but there's never going to be a question of whether or not it sustains. Mic drop. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't need to add anything else there. You're spot on. This, this news doesn't bring any new information to the table. NCAA needs to make changes. Players are finding ways around those structures, and I applaud them for doing so, and they deserve these opportunities. I, my brother Ryan, who you've met, actually brought up a good point to me the other day. He said he was watching the College Jeopardy championships, and the, win, I don't, the winners of these Jeopardy championships, unless, unless we're mistaken and they have to donate to charity or something, but these, the smartest students at Duke University – at Syracuse, at Seton Hall, can win $100,000 on Jeopardy because they are smart. So why can't the best basketball player make money off of being the best basketball player in America? So I thought, shout out to Ryan, I thought that was a pretty interesting comparison, similar to some of the stuff we saw on the documentary the scheme where they were talking about you know the smartest students could go to google and get have a guaranteed job all this and all that so yeah i mean this is nothing's new here but i thought it was a great move by the nba kudos to Jalen green and any other players who go on to take advantage of this and make make a little money on the side while they get ready for next year's nba draft and would i feel differently about this if i didn't know that the one and done rule was going away in all likelihood in 2022, I would I would feel differently because that means you could have the threat 
of a Zion Williamson if there were a talent like that or a LeBron James-like talent, that generational talent we get every 10, 12, 15 years, surpassing college and taking on a G League deal like this. Uh, but Jalen Green is not that. He's, he's the top 2021 prospect but uh, an, an NBA draft projected pick. Uh, but Zion was getting hyped unlike we've ever seen from a player with our current age of social media. So, yeah, would I feel differently? Of course I would feel differently. But I, I think when you look at all the variables here, the fact that this rule is going to change anyway, a Zion's going to go straight to the NBA, which if a kid can do that, why should he be forced to go to a year of college if he can go straight to the NBA? That makes no sense. Um, so you you should have that rule in place. It's going to be in place. This further brings up the bigger problem, but I think this is more the NBA using its great developmental resources. They have better developmental resources than any professional league in the world of trying to get those players to them as opposed to going to an NBL. They've put that fix on a problem, and for them, two hundred and fifty to $500,000 is a penny in the well if it means the NBA is getting these talents, can find out everything about them, which could expose the athlete a little bit. Heading into the draft, keep in mind, NBA now has unprecedented access to a prospect or a player, and they're going to find a lot out about these kids that they didn't otherwise know when these kids were in college and when these kids were overseas and could do things that they can't do in the NBA. Um, just saying. So it's it's an interesting situation. I'm curious to see how everything rolls out. But another episode of Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is in the books. Thanks again to Mick Cronin for spending some time with us, the head coach at UCLA. Thanks also to our producer, Mike Lieber, as well as Bruce Bernstein for all of their help. Ben Wolf and Ed's the show, and we always appreciate his contributions. I loved his Instagram story from yesterday. He had a backyard uh, playlist going on. Ooh, ben, I miss ben that. Ben looked like he was having a fun weekend, yeah. <laughs> and you could check out uh, our other Pure Hoops media shows, which keep on rolling. That's right, John. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong drops each Wednesday. On Thursdays, Monica McNutt comes by with buckets, boards, and blocks. Every Friday, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman. B.J. Armstrong has been giving some great takes on The Last Dance and his time with the Bulls. The Mike Wise Show drops each Monday. And John and I always back on Tuesdays with Full Court Press. So please check them all out. Download them, rate and review them. Most of all, enjoy them. We will see you next week on Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.